we try to be not perfectionist, but really put out something in the first version for people to really start using. And if they really find value, then they're going to pull the rest from us. And we rather let them come back and us iterating on the version we have launched instead of us really working on something, perfecting and then launching and that no one is using. Welcome to the Vitalize Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the Director of Marketing at Vitalize Venture Capital. On today's episode, we have Mariam Hakabayan, co-founder of Softer, a company that lets you easily build custom apps for your business. You can turn Airtable or Google Sheets into client portals, partner apps, or even internal tools. In this episode, we go through how she started and grew this company and much, much more. Let's dive in. Mariam, welcome to the show. Hey, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, thank you for taking the time. And uh, Softer, as I was saying before we started, we actually use this at Vitalize, uh, this platform to build our portfolio, like support platform essentially at Vitalize, which has been a great tool. I know Vic and our team loves it. I remember we did a demo for this at uh, the VC platform Global Global Summit, Global Conference, and people were loving Softer. So I'm very excited to chat all about it. But for people who aren't familiar with Softer, what is this company doing? Yeah, so uh, software is a knockout platform that lets anyone build custom apps using your data. At the, po- at the moment, uh, it's using Airtable as a backend, and we are growing into becoming a platform that's using any type of backend data source and lets you build all of the visual platform internal tools and client portals, customer portals, and many other types of apps without, without code. I love it. It's so easy. It's so easy. And I want to know how this got started in the first place, Mario. Yeah, uh, well, so we, both of us as founders, me and Arthur have been software engineers ourselves for more than a decade each. And uh, we have been building software products, like have kept repeating over and over all of the things we have been building. We kept building same things like authentication, payments, etc. And, you know, also entire companies are having big entire themes to just build some of these portions. And also at like last portion of our careers, we have been mostly leading engineering and product themes and have been hiring engineers extensively. And of course, we have seen the shortage of talent firsthand. <laughs> so uh, it just didn't make sense to us. And we were like, okay, why, why on one hand there is, you know, no one, not everyone is going to become an engineer while there's so much interest, et cetera, but everyone just doesn't become a doctor everyone is not going to become an engineer right and there is all of this need within organizations to build all these different types of tools but the engineering cannot scale up to that and then on the other hand there is this shortage and really uh, this small group of people who only only them can do that why not have a platform where all of these repetitive things especially are given as you know building blocks they are just there for you you can just assemble them together like a lego and you get your app up and running real quick and um, yeah, that's how we got started. Uh, we kind of started with a very basic MVP version, which was just a website builder. We really wanted to test out this building block concept, which was kind of like a Lego. Imagine soft- in software, you would be given membership is just one block and then payments is another block. All of this, you just assemble together and get an app up and running. So we started with a very, very basic version without having really any dynamic database connection. And just wanted to test out if this is something people even love, even like, even will use. 
And also one of the testament of that was we started charging from day one for an MVP Ooh. type of product, which was also something we wanted to really validate. We believe that if people are paying this, then they definitely are going to get are getting the value and hence they are ready to pay. And even the price at the time was a bit even higher compared to other website builders at the time. <laughs> but there were lots of people <laughs> there, this, there. We saw some people starting to pay. So there was something there. And then we kind of kept evolving from there. Okay, there's a lot I want to unpack with that. First off, the thing you just mentioned with price, you said it was higher than other website builders. Why did you want to make it higher to start with? How did you get to that decision? Yeah, it's a good question. So we did, I mean, it was, uh, if we, we looked at, at the time we looked at website builders, because we were also offering, you know, the MVP was just a website builder, we couldn't really um, have a higher price. But at the same time, we ourselves have been using all these other website builders to build our own website. It took us ages. We never launched it. It was also pretty cumbersome. We launched something and then it didn't work on mobile, etc. So the the goal with us building this platform was we want to give something to the people that within 30 minutes, they have something up and running. It's working fine, responsive on, on uh, every other platform. I don't have to spend a lot of time on crafting it. And um, really the biggest value we kind of embodied and thought that this this value uh, is reflected in pricing is that instead of spending days or weeks to build something with other platforms in, in, in 30 minutes, you essentially have something with software, that time and effort you are reducing and uh, helping people to uh, eliminate, that is worth, that is going to be worth the, um, the money. And we kind of just tested out. Of course, we, you know, we started with one pricing, then also we had several iterations of pricing, but the first version as well was a bit expensive from the others and we saw also you know once people started buying we we talked to them and also tried to understand why they're even paying for that and that is what what came back as that is just saving so much time and effort for them from them to instead of using the other platform and that's yeah that was the kind of thing that's that sticked and really works well just for context for people as well, with the MVP is that we, you know, founders hear this all the time, like build an MVP, like just launch something. Like how long did it take from like idea to like launching the MVP and having the market? I'm curious. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it didn't take that well. It was about a year of building as, as a site, I mean, as part-time alongside our jobs or other activities we have. So we weren't full-time building it. And it was just two people actually on um, my co-founder building. I was more on the product side, on the business, customer discovery, etc. cetera. Um, yeah, about a year time us building it. And then we launched in August, 2020, the very first MVP version, just a very basic website builder. Um, yeah. That's from there, but then it already started evolving and we put more effort than full-time Full time of our <laughs> wait, wait. How did you get to that point of you want to quit your job or you quit your job to do this full time? Because obviously, so many founders too that they're doing it part time and they're like, okay, well, I want to quit. Or some people dive right in because maybe they have savings or they raise around pretty quickly. For you, a year to get to the point of then going full time, take me through like that and how that happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a bit different for the two founders. My co founder joined a bit later when actually we had kind of a timeline. Time MRR uh, kind of goal in our minds that we want to reach that and then be able to, you know, quit. Um, at the same time, we also didn't want to raise VC money. We, we knew we are going to raise at one point because for this type of platform to really be fast and to be able to be competitive. And this just requires enormous amount of effort engineering wise and product wise. We knew yeah. in order to win, we are going to have to have 
the funds. Um, and um, But we didn't rush raising. We really wanted to prove to ourselves that this is something that's working, that we get the value first, like there's customers, and then we go out to raise. Um, and yeah, on my case, I actually, before already left my job, I started working on different ideas, working in joining um, an um, incubator, etc., just trying out different things. And then at one point, for me, it was kind of working on the side with other, um, with some other companies doing some consulting, etc. So I was not full time at the time. But yeah, yeah, there was kind of a period where we where we thought of having some kind of milestone for ourselves of in terms of MRR and customers to prove ourselves that it's worth the effort. But and actually what happened was, uh, we launched on Product Hunt, and then after like two three months, we realized we just cannot keep up with the, you know, with the product re- requests, with all of the customers coming in, the customer support, etc. It was just unscalable for both of us, and that yeah. was it. Was just naturally hap- happened that we we yeah we just had to scale because there was the demand. Yeah, it's interesting hearing that because my best friend, for instance, he launched a course creating company um, and he ended up, he wanted to get two times his salary before he was comfortable enough to quit. So he had to make twice what his monthly like salary would be before he quit. And like, I've heard such a varying number from founders. So I find it really fascinating. as like, how much risk are you willing to take? And like, how much comfort do you need before you go full time? And I think he's still paranoid about it, which is kind of funny. But with that too, you mentioned the product hunt launch. Was that how you initially got your first paying customers? Yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. So we also uh, kind of at one point while building the product, we were um, trying to understand, you know, at the time, no-code wasn't really a thing. People weren't really speaking about no-code. It was still very unusual. Bubble, I think, was the only uh, the only platform that was out there and was being talked about. Um, and at that point, we, we actually found Twitter a uh, community of all these no-code enthusiasts that are really hanging out, building with different tools. There is already some of these tools they're using. And uh, we kind of got into that and started engaging and really understanding a bit more about the market. But the first time for the first customers really started getting from product hand. And then also us being close to them, talking to them regularly, etc. Being close already in the kind of in our tribe, we found our tribe in Twitter, this no-code, you know, small bubble, uh, where from there, things already started evolving. What did that look like from Twitter? You mentioned Twitter. So is that like you're starting to post some content about it, people who respond and you're like, hey, can we have a call? I'm curious on what you think about it. Or like, what did that look like more tangibly? I'm just curious and trying to think for other founders like, oh, I should use Twitter because I have a similar type of product. Like, what did that look like for you with, with software? Yeah, we didn't do much content posting or uh, ourselves, but rather really just followed the people who were already there, who were already using other tools or building stuff, just really understanding to understand the market and what these people's expectations are. Also, like reached out to them, spoke to them. And then when we launched already, we kind of kept people interested or engaged. We kind of posted about our updates. We just shared where we are, what what are we building, etc. And then kind of it started building up. We didn't really have never used Twitter for, you know, running our own trades or being, you know, be becoming a thought leader in Twitter just because, you know, we just didn't have the time for for that, <laughs> focusing on that. That's um, fair. <laughs> there is some companies I think they are doing a pretty good job in Twitter, really using the thread structure and like having tons of uh, audiences. We never managed to do that. And um, maybe that's a good strategy in <laughs> for some cases. But yeah, um, essentially just, just really... First of all, learning from the people there who are actual builders, who are actual customers of other platforms like that or have yeah. the needs. 
and and then evolving from there. Going from those early customers then, so launching a product hunt in the early days, I know we can talk about the latest launch in a little, little bit, going from that like, first kind of product hunt launch to then, and also on Twitter, engaging a little bit as well. What has fueled the growth of Softer since then? Because you hear about founders who launched a product hunt, big spike comes down after and you're like, no, everyone knows it's going to happen. But I'm just curious as to what kept that going because you've grown a lot since. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because it was only the first time when we had this spike and there was lots of users that essentially started learning about software. Nowadays, when we launch something, we actually launched on 15th, we launched our uh, software mobile platforms as one of the, I think, the third launch ever on Product Hunt. And oh, wow. it's interesting, there's just a bit of spike and it seems like a lot of the people already in Product Hunt community, they know about software. So there is not that many new signups. There is not that many <laughs> you know, upgrades, new customers. It's really just about keeping the community in the loop, keeping them up, up to date, etc., and really uh, keeping the enthusiasm um, there and uh, people just learning about what's happening. But really, it, it isn't, it's kind of at one point you really come to, uh, yeah, if you're if you continuously building the product and active in the space, then it's it's not yeah gonna be scalable channel. Um, for for us, what really fueled the rest of the growth is really, uh, I mean, three main things that we are working on that are the core of our growth, which I actually like mentioning is that the first time we consider the real launch was the real launch of the web application builder, uh, which was last April. So that was the second launch we had where uh, it was really an application builder using Airtable as a backend, having membership payments. From there on, we have grown from almost 5,000 to uh, 60,000 users now, all through organic channels without with zero dollars in marketing, all through three main things. First, product, really the product itself, uh, community, uh, and content and education. So product um, referring to really just listening to customers, building what what the right thing with, is with them, understanding their needs. Um, and then also, you know, having some growth loops in the product, like one thing that is also working really well for us is um, the made with software batch. So every application that's built with software, especially if it's on the free plan, uh, and we give out also very generous custom domain on the free plan. Like there's lots of people who are still building their apps. They have their custom domains, their custom applications, but they don't want to pay. You know, I mean, that's that's completely fine. Uh, and that's just really helping us with the word of mouth and people sharing what they have built. And that is also acting as a growth loop that's really fueling the growth. Um, and then, of course, really just um, I think I think customers uh, run software are um like no no software and really like about about that about software as well that we we keep so you know we we talk to them regularly we know what their needs are and they see the results coming out in the product things that they ask now they get get it back they keep they're kept in, informed etc i think that's something that really the community and the user base values a lot and then of course the community which is kind of tied to the product itself again Lots of things are filled from the community, people who are passionate about software. And also at the same time, they're acting as ambassadors, really the, the people promoting software. There's lots of people creating content, uh, video tutorials, articles, etc. around software without really us incentivizing any <laughs> at all. Because also one of the reasons I assume being, you know, because people build stuff, they they are successful, right? They, they share about their excitement and they feel like, 
they they got superpowers now they they can build stuff that they couldn't do before and of course they keep talking about that to their communities in twitter in social etc and that's what kind of acts as one of the um, kind of viral community growth aspect and then there is content on education which is you know we try to we are we're still working on that um and not yet haven't done yet much here but really heavily like working on helping customers to be successful once they land into the product uh, because uh, it, it is it is a product it's not just an you know a hr platform or it's not a simple email application right it's it's something that does require people spend a bit of time spend be creative build out try out try and failures etc and um, really helping them understand the different things that they can build use cases what Airtable even is, sometimes people don't even know what Airtable is. Yep. Uh, and then and then really educating them around the different things they can do with the product. This is something that's really core and we believe that we yeah, we're we're working on that. Hopefully, hopefully um creating even more, you know, in, in, in tutorials, articles and all that to help them along their journey. Was that always the plan to just have more so the organic growth mechanisms you wanted to put in place. You didn't really want to spend necessarily on different paid channels or like how did that decision come about to go this way? Um, I think so. I think from the very, I mean, it hasn't been intentional to not, you know, to grow. It's also something that of course um, worked, <laughs> luckily, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> luckily true, true. Uh, just because of the product. But I think what we are intentional, very intentional about is really kind of, making the product the thing that really works, you know, that acts as the growth lever for us. Um, we are making intentional decisions around the product, around every every other aspect of building new features, making sure that, you know, keeping the simplicity in place. Anything we add to the product, we're very mindful of this should not add additional complexity because, of course, if you add more features, then the product becomes more and more complex and difficult to use. So there is lots of things told put into making the product extremely easy and um, simple to use for the pro for the customers and then of course that kind of helps the uh, because pe if people can do things easily they can create then they are happily sharing as well um, pay channels are not are, are not things we are not experimenting with we are right now starting to also work on that and but definitely is not we're not not looking at that as one of our main channels for growth yeah, no, that makes sense. And with that too, so you mentioned the product, you mentioned earlier this mobile app that launched as well on Product Hunt. I'd love to hear more about how that came about in terms of the timing of going with the mobile app, that development uh, process, and like what you're thinking about with that as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, to be honest, actually, the product, we haven't been trying to be to make something big out of the mobile launch. It kind <laughs> of internally, uh, we, we realized actually, uh, it's, it's interesting. It was a kind of product request from some of the, customers who really are building some, you know, some typical business applications that really need this functionality and it's making them more effective. And we kind of implemented it technically wasn't like extremely hard. Yeah. Um, and we weren't originally, we weren't thinking this is going to be something really interesting for a lot of the customers, but then we realized it's actually, we don't see it that way, but a lot of the customers for them, it's actually insanely valuable because mm. then now you have another application the same application can run on mobile right so we kind of then we realized okay let's let's publish this let's make this public so everyone knows and starts using and then also um i think one one thing that 
we do um, like with every other product update is typically we we don't try to perfect. I think that's very very kind of um, specific maybe to software. Like we try to be not perfectionist, but really put out something in the first version for people to really start using. And if they really find value, if this is something that's valuable, then they're going to pull the rest from us. And we rather let them uh, come back and then us iterating on the version we have in, in we have launched instead of us really working on something perfecting and then launching and that no one is using. Yeah. <laughs> same same with mobile. So we have we have launched the first version. There's already a lot you can do with it. But again, I mean there is so many things that we don't know how people are gonna use it, right? So there is some things we know for some use cases it's gonna be useful. Maybe now we start learning completely other use cases that we didn't even imagine that would be used for. Yeah. With that too, I know in terms of building product and everything else, going back to what you mentioned earlier, you originally didn't want to, you, you knew you'd raise venture capital eventually. You want to bootstrap initially. You didn't have to spend it right away. Take me through the evolution of then the, the timing at point at which you decided to raise venture capital like that. I'm, I'm just curious as to how it went as well in terms of raising that. Cause I know you announced a round relatively recently as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, with, with both rounds, it was kind of similar for us, actually. As I mentioned, there was a point where we weren't planning to fundraise and also still not going you know, full-time yet. But yeah. at a point where, where we realized there's lots of customers now starting to use software, they really find value in it. And then there is also lots of customer support, etc. And around that time, we were also organically kind of inbound we were getting lots of inbound interest from different investors some of the top um you know investors in the world and we were like okay let's let's chat uh we uh okay. the, the time the yeah. timing i mean we weren't actually actively speaking to anyone but the timing when we realized okay this is not being this is not scalable anymore we're just you know with two people we can't handle all these different aspects it was just you know one person um on on the technology side just building all these features impossible and then another person doing everything on design product etc so then we we kind of it was natural uh, around the same time that we started getting the inbound interest and started talking to investors um casually in the beginning and then we ended up <laughs> officializing <laughs> it with that too did you know like you say you get some inbound interest from investors but especially if you have growth and you have leverage as a founder, especially now you can choose who you want as angels. If you want certain angels in, involved that are helpful, who you want as VCs, just take me through how you, your team, you and your team were thinking about like the fundraising side of this, like who strategically you wanted, uh, who you ended up going with. I'm just curious about that too, for other founders it might be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. For, for both times, uh, we have been very careful also, you know, and very mindful of who do we want to have alongside us, uh, building the company because they are, uh, you know, they are becoming part of your extended team, uh, all yeah. of the investors. And we definitely wanted to have people like amb- investors, like two things I think was really important is first with, uh, with an experience of building company themselves before or being an operator in a company. And then second, really caring about the product and the customers really being that being the highest priority versus revenue numbers, metrics, which is, of course, also a priority and important. Um, but that comes as a result of having the right product, um, having the right customers and really understanding your market, understanding your what product you want to build and really understanding customers. So we have been really focusing on just um, making sure we uh, we choose the right investors, the investors who 
who are understanding, who have the same mindset like we do, and they are going to be very supportive and very helpful actually in with their expertise in those areas. And yeah, that for both cases that worked out pretty well. I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for people who aren't familiar already, thirteen and a half million dollars Series A uh, more recently, which is incredible. Uh, some great investors on board there as well. And you talk about the we, which is, there's a whole team obviously behind this. But I want to go drill down a little bit more on your, your co-founder as well. How did you two decide to work together that you wanted to start this company? Because there's so much that goes into the, this and also how long of a relationship it's going to be to build a company, like years and years and years. Just tell me through like what those conversations were like or how that even came about. Mm -hmm. I'm curious. Yeah, actually, interestingly enough, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't mention it um, like too often because there's just not, no reason um, like very often to mention yeah. that. Also, what happened uh, with both of us is we also happen to be husband and wife team uh -huh. <laughs> that uh, also works kind of that's, that's uh, we believe, the advantage we have as well. We have also built another company before, which we didn't continue like scaling, etc. We had several thousands users and we, yeah. we also worked very closely together in the same theme. So we knew we are working, we can work very well together. And also um, the leverage we have and essentially why that that that's making us successful is also because there is so much empathy and understanding in what you know every, both of us are in the same book and <laughs> yep. we understand what we are doing right what each other each other person is doing uh, i i i can't imagine you know it's 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 a difficult life if you are one of the family members like in this case is yep. working on a startup and then the other one isn't i think that's that's really where um, one thing that I really like joking about is uh, sometimes, you know, this, this might raise in some um, interesting questions from investors and concerns. Okay. And the funny thing is, you know, if you're, even if you're working with someone else, you have to, there is this entire like problems that you might have around the team, etc. In, in our case, we have more than 10 years of conflict management resolution experience. And that's, that's really, that uh, sounds, sounds funny, but it's really what, what's setting us kind of up for success because we have already been, you know, we have stormed as a team, we have formed as a team and that's just helping us. Okay, I, I want to talk about the future of no code and what you think about no code more broadly in a second. But I had to drill down on what you just mentioned real quick, because for mm -hmm. other founders who are maybe husband and wife team, or we just had uh, two pitches at Vitalize Angels today, and one of them was siblings. So mm -hmm. co-founders are siblings. Yeah. I, I'm curious as to, you mentioned the benefits of that, having the empathy mm -hmm. from years mm -hmm. of obviously knowing each other. What are the, maybe the challenges of that? Is there any mm -hmm. challenges mm -hmm. of that? I'm just curious on that dynamic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the challenges is, um, I, I mean, as long as there is a clear separation in your responsibilities, especially us, yeah. both of us being technical product background, but the, uh, what works really well for us is we have very clear responsibilities split and there is just a bit of overlap on the product side. But other than that, everyone is responsible for their own areas. I think that always in every, every team, that clarif clarification and that responsibility area uh, is is important uh, so independent of their house <laughs> wife and husband or or yeah, uh, yeah or not um, and then the other challenge i guess is that um, generally being able to um, be mindful of your you know family life personal life and <laughs> and your work life um, one while my belief is um, in today's world you know remote work and everything there is uh, 
Like I'm not, I, I, I don't think we are the type of person that, you know, nine to five job and then you're, you're uh, completely off, it's, et cetera, especially for founders' lives. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think like flexi, being flexible and being able to adapt and understand, you know, being able to plan your day, plan your time, that's really important as long as you can do that. Um, that's not really um, posing much challenges. So that ha- that's the difficult challenge to be able to really plan it uh, in a way that you can have all, <laughs> which <laughs> typically you can't. But you have to you have to at least balance it in some way. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that because it is a different perspective. And I know we've also invested in founders who are a husband and wife team before at Vitalize. And so I remember hearing that in different conversations. And imagine also having two kids plus software. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) On top top of everything. (laughs) Yeah, put them to work in the company. Jeez. Um, (laughs) With with this too, I know I want to talk about NoCo. This is like the NoCo, one of the NoCo companies. And you mentioned when you started wasn't as hot back even a few years ago in terms of no code and stuff. Now, what do you see in the industry today? Like the landscape of this kind of no code industry as it accelerator? Is it like a, you know, rising tide lifts all boats type of thing where the industry as a whole has grown? So you've also grown. I'm just curious on your thoughts on kind of no code industry too. Yeah. Um, I think, I think no code really is just, I mean, just really starting. Actually the, the term, the wording is just being, becoming familiar to people. Now I think there is, People even just just searching what no code is right before probably yeah. there was n- no one ha- heard of it. Um, there is I, I I do believe it's still really early stages of no code and this entire movement, just because um, it's it, it still the all of the platforms are still very early. The companies there's tons of companies now coming up. Well, the good thing about this is that the platforms and the products are becoming increasingly easy um, easy to use. And then that competition just helps um, the the companies to become better at what they are doing. Um, and then there is more and more people really understanding the benefits. At one point, it was just a hype, right? I, I think last year or so, that was considered uh, just a hype. And sometimes I also met investors who just didn't believe there's, there's such tools or you can build applications without code. But nowadays, I think people are starting to realize really and see the benefits of using no code in their organizations, for their business or for their personal lives and how that can help them leverage and, you know, become entrepreneurs, become their, the owners of their lives or in businesses, become completely independent of engineering and do the things that were matter for their specific work and really be independent. I think that's kind of the phase we are in and it's still very early for even the companies like we are early and many other companies are still in the early stages and there is, we are going to see probably a lot more broad, lots, lots more, uh, you know, awareness in the next um, phases, and also a lot more education and content, which is something that's still missing. And um, yeah, I think, I think generally speaking, uh, my belief is that it's it's just the future, just because it's a natural evolution of software development. Right before there was all the um, low-level programming tools, then um, APIs, microservices, all that. The next really phase of evolution is naturally abstracting it even one level above than that it's becoming accessible to even more people to not have to code but then build stuff. So um, yeah, I'm really excited about what the future holds and uh, really hoping for also software to be uh, the one of the top knockout tools to for people to come to find um, to find interesting 
applications to be able to to be creative and create their own apps without without code. Yeah, there are so many different ones out there that are doing like different things within the industry in terms of no code, which we have a lot spliced together at Vitalize, even for like Vitalize Angels, for instance, we have a stack of different no code tools to do different stuff. And there's so many out there. And like to point of education, you saw a company like MakerPad, for instance, which mm-hmm. had all these tutorials about these different tools and they got acquired. And so you saw that in terms of the content, right. obviously that was a huge need and people wanted these courses and everything, but then the platforms themselves, like software, for instance, are obviously incentivized to make their own content to help people to build more things to then use their product, which makes sense. I'm curious for you, what you like, what are you seeing in terms of software? Like, the main use cases or like why people are using, why people are using software or maybe what most people are using. I'm just curious on some of that side of things with what software is doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so software is really a horizontal platform at the moment and we want to stay like that. We definitely don't want to become a vertical solution just for one use case or one solution. But, yeah. uh, and, and our customers are ranging from entrepreneurs, um, some of the, um, you know, creators building their own businesses, um, and then some of the Fortune 500 companies using software for internal tooling and client customer portals. Uh, as a company, again, we don't want to limit the platform usage, but our yeah. core use cases and also the types of customers that are really getting the biggest value out of software are the business customers building, especially internal tools and client customer portals to be able to make their work effective and more digital with their external parties, external third-party companies. So that's where our focus is as a company. Um, and really, uh, like in terms of growing, in terms of um, like our our um, company growth, in terms of revenue especially. But uh, but really, we are, uh, we are imparting it, really want to make the platform e- extremely open to everyone. Like, I mean, uh, a good example that I really love referring to is Notion, Airtable itself, know, right? Yeah. Uh, where... Essentially, it just empowers anyone really using software, build their own stuff. Because especially what's interesting is a lot of the times we see people starting with their personal use cases, starting building something for their own, you know, just experimenting, etc. And then yeah. they really understand the power and they, they, um, what it can do also within their business. And then they transition to those use cases. So I think that's, <laughs> that's really uh, vital to have that um, as a beginning and especially right now when everyone is just getting into no code and learning what it is. It is so true. I think of all the little like personal and side project stuff I work on where those tools become something we use as a company. And it's just like the natural progression, even from like a notion, for instance, you're like, oh, I need this first like trip to plan. And this is kind of cool for organizing my notes or writing. And then it's like, we should use this for Vitalize Angels for everything we do. And it's like, we do that now. It's kind of a crazy transition um, for this. I think it's interesting once people start to play with these tools more and more, they'll see those use cases for companies, which is going to save them so much in development costs and everything else that they realize they don't have to even like have the engineers on staff for that particular thing. And I actually think back to, uh, so a long time ago, back in, right after the Social Network movie came out, uh, we learned like some code when be- with my best friend, like basic, like HTML, CSS stuff to start building our own website. And like the triumph of building a website back then was like, oh my gosh, we built a website. Like it's so easy now. It's so easy with so many different tools like software, for instance, to build a site where like now it's way beyond just building a website. It's like, what functionality do you want? What can you actually build it to have it do? What kind of functionality with like Zapier connecting to something else and like doing crazy stuff. And it's interesting to see where this industry is going and what companies like software will kind of continue to evolve with and do over time. And I know we're almost out of time here. So I'm just curious, 
where is the best place for people to learn more about softer and also connect with you if they'd like to as well? Yeah, the best place is Twitter, LinkedIn, um, either to me directly or softer is also in both places. Uh, and also, if you're really keen to learn about the platform, about our, our uh, community, join our Slack community. We have uh, we have an open community where uh, mostly it's our users, it's our product users, but also uh, if curious, just join and see what's happening. And then also start just try out the platform. It's it's free. It's also giving you even a custom domain on the free version, so you can build an app, launch launch it to the public, and uh, and yeah, excited to to see what people will build. <laughs> Perfect. I'll make sure McCall, our wonderful producer, shout out McCall, uh, links it all up in the show notes as well when this episode goes live. So we'll have links to all of that so people can find it easier. But Mariam, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. You too. Thank you, Justin. It was great to be here. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about us, head on over to vitalize.vc. You can also follow us on Twitter at vitalizevc, or you can follow me on Twitter at justingordon212. Have a great day and I'll talk to you in the next episode.